All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you today, and um, I hope you're doing well as uh, as I am. Um, I'm going to tell you that it, it is very exciting. Um, all the baptisms uh, that we have today. Can we just uh, give it up to the Lord and for the people getting baptized again? It's exciting. Very, very exciting. And so if uh, you are able to participate in that, please do so. Um, again, as Billy said, I just wanted to uh, say thank you so much uh, for the blessing that you are to the city and uh, bringing the clothing um, around there. And I'm going to ask for uh, prayer. I was probably going to um, think about looking through those bags of clothing myself to get a hazmat suit. I'm telling you because like the subway and the bus can be like a mobile petri dish and I wasn't feeling so well this past week. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's sort of like you're right up on people and they're like, <laughs> and it's like, God bless you. <laughs> so anyway, pray for a brother. So anyway, thanks for all of those. And we know that it's going to bless the people of the, the city. Um, I'm going to jump right into the word today because uh, what we want to do is make sure we have enough time to uh, get over to Missio Day uh, and uh, feed any kitties that uh, need to be fed in the meantime. Um, again, when we get over there, please just uh, also just be gracious and thank Missio Day as a church. I mean, this is the body of Christ working together, right? Uh, we're the body of Christ where we're meeting in a school, but they've been around for many years and have their own baptismal. And so they're saying, we're in this together. We're the body of Christ together. So when people are coming to Jesus, responding and getting baptized, we're working together to see the sacraments go forward. And so um, please make sure to uh, thank them and just bless them and be gracious to them because we are the body of Christ doing it together in the city. Um, but uh, today what we're going to do is we're going to continue our uh, series called A New Hope. And it's what's uh, been getting us started uh, for the new year. Um, and today what we're going to do is we're going to uh, actually uh, pivot off of last week's message where we were talking about um, really finishing what you start in Christ's completed work in us. And today we're going to uh, focus on uh, as we choose to finish that which God starts in us and Christ's completed work, um, really focusing on his supernatural strength and uh, additionally uh, really founding ourselves in a supernatural trust that he provides in himself a supernatural strength that he gives us to move forward in the things that he's called us to, and then a supernatural trust that keeps us as we're continuing to move forward in faith. Okay, so let's pray, and then we'll get started. Lord, we thank you um, so much for your word to us today. God, we thank you that you have given us uh, not only the example of who you are, but how you interact with your people. Um, Lord, we thank you that uh, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, we're asking that as we read your word today, that great faith would rise up in our hearts, um, that we'd be able to not only hear your word and, um, from the scripture, but we'd also, as your sheep, hear your voice. Uh, that as we walk day by day, that you might be our good shepherd who leads us and guides us into your purposes, and that we'd have both your supernatural strength and a supernatural trust to accomplish your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so today we're going to look um, at three places. Um, we're going to start in John chapter 5. Uh, we're going to dip into uh, the Proverbs, and then we're going to end in a psalm. John chapter 5, we're going to dip into the Proverbs, and then we're going to end in the psalm. And we're going to start with uh, God's supernatural strength to accomplish his will um, in an encounter that Jesus had with a <clears throat> paralyzed um, man at the well that he healed on a Sabbath um, day. 
and that's going to start in verse 1. So if you have a Bible today, you can turn to John chapter 5. If not, you can look on the screen. Let's read together. It says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And we're going to come back to them. One man was there who had been there, <clears throat> an invalid, for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. So all of a sudden we see this picture of this man who, for many years, it actually gives us a um, specific account of uh, the number of years that he was um, an invalid. Uh, for 38 years he had been an invalid and really uh, been a part of believing in the things of God had been a part of actually having a hope in the things of God, and even been in a place where he was hoping to participate in the things of God. Uh, what we do, don't see in this scripture is that um, in different manuscripts, it says that there was an angelic stirring of the waters. And whenever there was an angelic stirring of the waters, that's what the invalid was referring to, that the people were dipped or they were put down into the water. And as the waters were stirred, uh, they received their healing from God. And this man who was an invalid for 38 years, he, it wasn't that he didn't want to participate in the things of God. It wasn't, in fact, that he didn't believe. In fact, it, was, it would have been the case that he would have stopped showing up by the waters, you would imagine, if he did not believe or he did not want to participate in that which other people were receiving. But whenever you're in a church setting or whenever you're in a faith setting, it's easy to uh, begin to uh, almost look as somebody from the outside at all that God is doing and all that's going on around you. Even today, we're uh, celebrating uh, people's baptisms, and what that is, is a celebration of new life in Christ, right? Uh, that God's changed my heart, changed my mind, has helped me to live in the freedom that he provided for me on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, giving me new life and new hope in him. 
Um, but even as you go through that or have been through that yourself over the years, that's just the beginning, right? It's not just saying a sinner's prayer, praying a prayer of faith, and then responding to God in repentance. But then there's an entire walk with God from that point that he takes you from faith to faith, from strength to strength, and from glory to glory in his purposes. Now, what happens, though, is, is that whenever you uh, find yourself getting past the initial phase of God, where you're saying, God, I'm responding to you, and yes, you've set me free, then the challenges that God brings you into for his high calling in Christ Jesus become more and more of a challenge to actually walk into. Has anybody noticed that before? It's sort of like the longer you walk along, he doesn't leave you in the place where you can resign to accomplishing things on your, in your own ability or in your own strength. He actually says, I'm going to call you up into something greater, which actually enables you to trust me more, but it's going to require more dependence on me to do it. It might be something where you are setting a new legacy in your uh, family line based on the relationships that you have with not only your spouse but your children because something in your past might have been an improper example of what a family line should look like. So you get married and then all of a sudden, you know, you're going to Billy and, um, Billy and Lily's uh, marriage group and it's like, let's talk about how to actually build a godly relationship. Well, I didn't see one before. It hasn't started off so well, but I've got faith that something could be different, right? But it's going to take some dependence on God to actually see that come about. Does that make sense? And then all of a sudden it takes some faith to get um, up there and around. But what happens is, is that you begin to um, um, hit these obstacles where it's sort of like, even though you have a desire to go into the things of God, there are also challenges that take place that keep you from actually fully embracing it. Now that often happens to uh, not just some of us, but many of us. And what happens in that time is that we begin to feel alone, like we're the only one who can't rise up to the occasion or can't rise up in faith into the new thing that God's calling us to. But what we see from scripture is that you're not alone, right? We begin to play Michael Jackson on uh, repeat where he says, you know, another day has gone. <laughs> I'm still all alone. And you're wondering, even though I want to be with God, how can this be? <laughs> that you're not here with me. That's what you feel like, but it's not true, right? And the thing about it is that, yes, that's right, we break into song here. The thing about it is, is that God himself says, I'm giving you an example that though you might not physically be in the condition that these people were in when they had to be put in the pool, in your soul you might be. In your soul, you might be, and God's wanting to break you free in the same way. The good news is, is that Jesus is a supernatural God. Isn't that good news? Jesus is a supernatural God who literally and physically heals people today. He physically heals people in their bodies. He physically heals people in their minds, and he heals people in their souls. Now, when he's talking here about the blind, the lame, and the, um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed, the people that he often healed most directly were the people who were physically invalids. Okay. Whenever Jesus was on the scene, he's not making a metaphor here. He actually physically healed people. That was part of his supernatural power. That's the God that we serve. But when we're in a setting like this, 
What happens is, is that we're of a people who don't necessarily, I mean, it's hard to find too many wrinkles here in the, in the crowd. I can share some with you, but the thing is, is that, you know, plenty of people are young and virile and just starting their marriages, just starting their lives, just starting to raise kids, you know what I mean? And even those who, of you who've lived some life and have some years on you, you are all about healthy eating and wellness now, so everything's keeping together, you know? It's not like in the older days where you ate whatever you want to and your body fell apart. There is a new day, right? Well, maybe it's not for everyone. But listen, the point is, the point is, is that it's not so much the physical things, but it's sometimes the things in your soul. The things in your soul that can actually have you feel the same way. That though you are not physically incapacitated, you actually, in the things of God, might be blind, you might be lame, and you might be paralyzed. Let's talk about that. First of all, it's the people who were by the pool who are blind. What does that mean for somebody in a crowd like ours? It means that though you are surrounded by truth and hear it sound, you're surrounded by truth over and over again and hear it sound, whether through family members, friends, or coworkers, maybe somebody who brought you here and you did not come to God necessarily on your own. You are unable to perceive, accept, or embrace the truth of Christ, his cross, and his gospel, and his power to both change and heal your life, because in your soul, you're blind. It's a blindness that Jesus talked about wherever he said, listen, I'm telling you to the Pharisees who were the religious leaders of the day, if you had actually humbled yourself and admitted that you were blind, that life wasn't going as God intended it to for you, and you actually admitted that you needed help seeing the truth of who he is and how to live, he said, I would in fact heal you and enable you to see. But it takes a humility to actually say, I don't have it all together. I don't have all of the answers. I have actually been the cause of the ruin of different aspects of my own life or my family line before me in their sin has been the, has been the culprit in producing these problems in my life. But I'm telling you, God, now I can't see how to get out of it, but I need you to heal me so that I can see spiritually and that I can obey your will. I can obey your word and begin to follow you. And even if that's not you, you've been sitting in these seats saying, I've already accepted Jesus, his ways and his word. And I'm fine. I'm, I'm about about it. It's not just about you. It's also about discipleship, right? You're surrounded by plenty of men and women who don't yet see. And therefore you're able to speak good news to them that says, though your life may be in shambles, you might be blind as to why right now God almighty is coming to set you free, open your eyes and set your life on track in him. It's what Proverbs talked about whenever he said this in Proverbs chapter verse 18. He says, but the path of the righteous, meaning the righteous in Christ, is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. That's good news in God, right? That even though there may be challenges, the path or the life that you're living in God is like the full light of day, shining brighter and brighter, meaning it should get better. That when you're walking with God, things should get better. That you don't have to be like the paralyzed man, the invalid who was there 30 plus years 
thinking it's always going to be this way. It's always going to be the same. I'm just going to have to do or bear with the things that my family line did, or I'm going to have to deal with the sin habits that I've been bound to all these years up to this point that Jesus is making his word known to me. He's saying, no, I'm giving you a promise that if you're righteous in me, it's like the first light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full light of day. But the way of the wicked, those who reject his word, it's like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. They don't even know. That was me back before I was serving God. I didn't even know why my life was falling apart as it was. But I knew that something was wrong. And the good news is when Jesus was preached to me, I believed and my eyes were open. He saved my soul and therefore I was able to see properly and begin to follow him in his ways. He's got that message for you or for those who surround you. But it's not just a blindness in your soul. And that's why I like the um, song, uh, Come to the Altar. Anybody like that song from Elevate Church? Oh, come to the altar, right? The Father's arms are. That's why I'm here with a mic and not on the stage. Though again, <laughs> okay, it's like, that's fine, okay? But the point is, it's like, come to the altar, right? That's why I'm in the back, singing and praising the Lord. But the point is, he's saying, come to the altar and I'll open your eyes. Come to the altar and I'll make you whole. Not just from blindness, but from being lame. What does it mean that we could be lame, not physically, but in our soul? That though you know the way, you've been unable to walk straight. You've been unable to walk straight. Whether in things like lust or greed or a lack of forgiveness towards those who have mistreated you. The list can go on and on. You know what's right to do. You know you can see it, but you've been lame. It's like you've tried to walk with God, but you found yourself stumbling over and over and over again. And then the convincing word of the enemy, not of God, but of the devil, is that it's got to always be that way. That everybody else might be able to be free, but you're the one who cannot be healed. You're the one who can't break these sin habits or patterns in your life. A lameness, an inability to walk straight, though you know the path that's right and that's straight for you. Or how about this, the paralyzed. The paralyzed, that though you know which way to go, meaning that God has not just given you an example or a precedent in his word of what's right and how to follow him, but he's actually spoken to you as his sheep, as his, um, his promise was through his word, as his voice is coming to you, and he's saying, this is what I've called you to do. This is what I've called you to accomplish. I want you to walk in this way, but you feel paralyzed. What is that paralysis? Though you know which way to go and what needs to be done, you lack the strength and inner mobility to get started. Meaning you're just scared. You know that something's got to be done, but you don't want to step out and get it started in the first place. It might be for you like starting a new business. It might be for you like actually stepping out in faith and actually believing God for a particular type of ministry. It might be for you actually reconciling with a family member that you've been disenfranchised from for years. But you feel a paralysis in your soul saying, I know what needs to be done, but I'm stuck. Has anybody ever felt that way before? I know what I'm called to do, but I'm stuck. And the good news is, is that you're not alone. That's the good news. But he doesn't leave us in that soup of disarray. He doesn't leave us in that soup of disrepair. But what he does say to us is that we can get so used to our incapacities that we begin to identify with our excuses as to why we're not moving forward in God. 
We begin to identify with them. Has anybody ever been there before? Just like the paralyzed man, you begin to have your rehearsed answer for why you're in the same place that you are now, even though Jesus has said that it could be different. Whenever somebody comes to you and says, hey, listen, I thought you wanted to make amends with this parent of yours or this spouse of yours, or, hey, I thought that you were going to step out in faith and actually go and take this new job, and though it might be challenging or difficult, I mean, you felt God's calling you to it, so step out in faith, and he'll meet you there, right? And you're like, well, you have to understand, I, I, I was going to. I was going to. Anybody have these conversations in your head? I was going to, but... I was going to, but, and but was something legitimate, right? But every time I tried to go forward, then somebody else jumped in the water ahead of me, right? They were a little bit more persistent. They were a little bit more ardent. They were dragging themselves to that water, saying, I can't walk, but I'm getting healed today. And they had a little more gusto in me to get in that water. And I wanted to, I tried, but for all these years, somebody jumped ahead of me and that promotion, whoop, it's gone. It's gone. Nothing I can do about it. And you would expect Jesus to be the comforter, right? You'd expect Jesus to be like, I understand. I know. I too would have wanted to get in those waters, but they're fast. And they've been building up their upper body, you know, <laughs> pulling themselves all these years, you know, and they got there. I understand. But it's not what Jesus said, did he? He actually asked a question in response. He actually said, hey, listen, I'm asking you a question. I have a question for you. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Now, the answer was obvious. Yes, I want to be healed. But what he was dealing with there was something that the invalid in that moment had to break free from, right? He had to break free from his excuses. I love my mom who still sends me clothing. Anybody have, like anybody else, a grown man in here who have their mom still sending them clothing? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, me and you too. All right, so it's sort of like, I love it. I love it. I'm like, dress me, ma. You know? And the thing about it is, is that she sent me this one. I know she got on sale like, like JCPenney or something. But the thing is, is like it had, it's like crush excuses. And I was like, that pumps me up. I'm like, yeah! And I wear it to the gym and I'm like looking at everybody else lifting their waist and I'm like, I want to take it off or at least turn it inside out <laughs> because they're, anyway, but the point is, I, I digress. But the point is, is this, Jesus in the same way is saying we need to ask ourselves, are we willing to separate from the excuses? Are we willing to separate from the excuses that are keeping us from coming to him and being healed? And you know, the truth of the matter is you never see the invalid actually answering the question, but instead he just says, get up, take up your mat and walk. Take up your bed and begin to walk. Isn't that good news? Isn't that Jesus in his nature? He says, hey, listen, do you want to be healed? And that question wasn't so much for him, but the answer, he didn't need it. It was actually more for the person who needed the answer, right? And he said, hey, listen, I'm telling you, if you want to be healed, you can be healed. And not only can you be healed, I'm giving you instruction for how to be healed. For you, it might be a various assortment of things, right? Because whenever the, in the gospel, Jesus is healing people, he does it in a multitude of ways, we're always looking for a formula, but Jesus is the formula. Isn't that good news? Jesus is the formula. Sometimes whenever Jesus heals a person, he just speaks a word and says, hey, listen, go. 
<laughs> you're healed. Your kid will be um, delivered of the demon. Another time he places hands on people, right? And sees them healed. Another time, and this is the one I wouldn't want to be a part of, he spits on the ground, makes mud and puts it in their eye. I'll be like, Jesus, I'm cool. You know, the, but the thing is, Jesus has all types of ways of healing people, but he says, I need you in the condition that you're in to obey my specific instruction, do what I've commanded you to do by my spoken word, not just my written word, but my spoken word to you, which implies relationship, right? It means that you cannot do it outside of relating to him. You can't just believe the right things. You've got to relate to him to get the instruction you need to actually do a different thing and actually take up your bed that you've been identifying with and go in a different direction. So what that means is, is he says, do you want to be healed? Great. He's like, well, Jesus, I didn't answer you. But I'm telling you, here's your instruction for how. Good news from Jesus. He said, you want to be healed? Here's how. I'm going to speak to you. Pick up your mat and go home. And the question is, what is the mat? What is the bed that he's telling you to pick up today? What is the bed that he's saying, disassociate yourself from today? That's bound you in sin. That's had you laying on your back when you're supposed to be a fighter and a warrior in the faith. You know you're called to more, but you've been in a cycle of sin over and over again. And he says, I'm going to break it today so that you can stand up and fight in my name. What is that bed? What is that bed that you need to pick up, disassociate yourself from, and get moving for, forward with today? He says, I'm giving you instruction if you follow it. I'll heal you from your <clears throat> blindness. I'll heal you from being lame. I'll heal you from your paralysis. And the good news is, is that in the midst of all of our response in faith to his word, he says that he doesn't expect perfection, but he, <laughs> he definitely expects us to complete in him that which we've started, right? Like we talked about last week. When Jesus said, remember, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You remember him saying that in the Sermon on the Mount? Now, does Jesus expect us to be without any error or sin? Okay, okay well, theologically, no. Okay? He's not expecting us to be perfect. What he's expecting us, that word also has an implication in it where it means to be complete, to actually complete, to continue on in him, to remain in Christ, to actually live in Christ and actually continue to follow him even in the ups and downs. Because when you take your mat after 30 plus years of lying on your back and not walking around, when you actually try to begin to walk, how many people can imagine that he stumbled a little bit? How many people can imagine that after 30 plus years of being an invalid and lying on a mat, then when he actually started walking, he made a few mistakes? That he was walking around, probably even telling the Jews what was going on and happening and saying, Woohoo, look at me go! <laughs> Guys, I'm free! I'm free! But like, like Bambi, right? Remember Bambi before he got, like his mom got shot, like he was a different boy, like deer. The thing is, it's like, he was like, listen, look at me. Look at me. I'm, I'm trying to walk. But there are a few mistakes that I make along the way, right? If I'm trying to treat my spouse differently or I'm trying to treat my kids differently or I'm trying to step out in that job to actually fulfill the call of God on my life and bring his kingdom come, his will done on this earth as it is in heaven, it's okay if I don't get it all together right the first time, but I, I keep moving. I'm going to be complete in my devotion to him until the job is done, right? I'm going to keep walking through all the stumblings, through all of the mistakes. He said, good, 
Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's without error. You have some grace. But he says, pick up your mat and get moving. Pick up your mat and get moving. Even people in the world know that. They have all these encouraging quotes from people like Coraline, um, the writer of Coraline. Anybody ever see that weird movie? Coraline? Okay, Neil, yeah, it's weird. Like Neil Gaiman, he said this. I hope that in this year to come, this is what he said about the new year. I hope that in this year to come, you make mistakes. Because if you are making mistakes, then you are making new things. Trying new things. Learning, living, pushing yourself. Changing yourself. Changing your world. You're doing things you've never done before. And more importantly, you're doing something. Good, right? Good and encouraging, right? Might see it on a post, Facebook, or Twitter, or whatever. And you're like, wow, that, that picked me up today. That's good. You might go to black, back in time a little bit, read somebody a little bit more intelligent like Confucius. And he said, a man is great not because he hasn't failed. A man is great because failure hasn't stopped him. A man is great because failure hasn't stopped him. Those are great pithy quotes. They inject us with something in a moment. But how many people know that those pithy quotes don't keep us? Okay, I don't know what you're living on, but they don't keep me. I'm like, that sounded good. But at the end of the day, that's not going to give me the strength that I need to keep going when I'm discouraged. That's not going to give me the, co the strength that I need to continue in the walk of God whenever I'm trying to do something that only he can accomplish, whether it be in ministry, whether it be in relationship, whether it be in finances, whether it be in absolutely serving the world in a manner in which he would. And those these things are encouraging words. The only truth that will keep us from beginning to end is a supernatural trust based on God's love for us in Christ. A supernatural trust in God's love for us in Christ. What do I mean by that? That's one of those religious terms that you're like, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, God loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. But what does that literally mean whenever you're trying to depend on his supernatural strength as the man was responding, picking up his bed and walking after Jesus gave him instruction to do so? The supernatural trust that we have to depend on in God is, as we spoke about last week, it's, it's based completely in Jesus and his devotion to you rather than your devotion to him. And that's hard for self-made people, right? That's hard for people who are working hard and feel like they have any competency about them that God Almighty is actually more impressed in my uh, trust in his love for me than he is in my love for him. Now, here is the point that I had to come to, especially in a culture of meritocracy. What, it mean, what I mean is that I, was in a, I was a, in a, grew up in a hard-driving home. Ex expectations were high. You've got to accomplish this by this time and this amount, you know, doing all of these things, right? We're, we're in a meritocracy-based culture, which is good for achievement, right? But it's not good for security in the soul. Isn't that true? But here's the thing that I came to realize in Christ is that God is never, nor was he ever, impressed with me. No matter what people told me about how great they thought I was or how great my achievements were, 
God was never impressed. Has anybody ever thought about that before? He said, if you think you're smart, I gave you the brains. If you think you're talented, I'm the one who gifted you. If you think that you have some sort of measure of wealth or any type of ability to even be generous, I'm the one who's entrusted it to you. You don't impress me. And I understood that more when I had kids. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's sort of like, I'm not, I I think they're fantastic. I think they're great. I think they're talented, beautiful, all that good stuff. But impressed, no. Why? I'm the one paying all the bills. (laughs) No, I mean, really, you know, I... I'm the one providing the home. I'm the one, you understand? It's the same way with God. It's like I value them because they're mine, not because of what they ever do for me. I value them because they belong to me and they're of my DNA, not because they've impressed me by their accomplishments. And when wherever, whenever we're trying to move out in the things of God, the only thing that's going to keep us when the challenges and the discouragements come are that he loves me, not because of what I do for him, but because I've received what he's done for me. And to have a supernatural trust in the things of God means that in the midst of my failures, my confidence is not in myself, but it's in him. That means I have the freedom to step out and make mistakes. I have the freedom to step out and try things that otherwise I may not have the complete roadmap for. I have the freedom, like Abraham, to leave my family, my household, and my friends and actually go to a place I did not know and say, God, you're going to provide. I have the freedom to say, you know what? He's got the plan because he's already there. He's already seen it from beginning to end. And I can trust him because if I am faulty in the midst of it, he still loves me because I'm his. This is why in the midst of our mistakes, he gives us ground for a supernatural trust. Proverbs 24 verses 15 through 16. He says this, not lie, not in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Again, that's anyone who belongs to Jesus stepping out in faith to obey him, whether it be his commandments or it be his spoken word, his voice for you to accomplish his will. He says, lay not against the dwelling of that righteous man or woman. Do no violence to his home for the righteous falls. I love that. Does that not free you? It says the righteous falls. Anybody righteous in here? In Christ Jesus? You can raise your hand. That's, this is one we could all be proud of, right? Yes. Righteous through Christ Jesus. And the righteous may fall seven times and rises again. But the wicked stumble in times of calamity. He says, if you're stepping out in faith, your supernatural trust that I'm going to catch you when you fall is what's going to keep you. Remember Peter stepping out on the water. What were these examples for? Were they just good bedtime stories? The answer is no. It's giving us example through which we should live in relationship to him. Remember, they were rowing as hard as they could across that lake. The winds and the waves were crushing the um, um, the, the craft against them. And they were scared. And then all of a sudden, Jesus starts coming out, chilling. 
walking on water, right? Can you imagine he had a little bit of a stride? <laughs> Just walking. And they're like, it's a ghost. He's like, chill out. It's me. <laughs> it's me. And then Peter, being full of zeal, once again gets crazy. He said, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come out. Yeah, probably bumping his like, the other disciples' like arms. Yeah, you ain't going to tell me to come out. <laughs> you know? And he says, here's the thing. Jesus said, I don't stutter. Come out. And he said, for real? <laughs> and Peter had to what? Get out of that boat and begin to walk by faith on the word that God had given him. And as long as he was focused on Jesus, he was doing the miraculous. As long as he was focused on Jesus and his word, he was able to do the supernatural, that which he couldn't do on his own. As soon as he looked around to the winds and the waves, he began to sink. He began to sink. And what did Jesus do? He's like, oh, well, guess I'm down to 11. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Jesus did not let him drown. But instead, Jesus caught him and said, why did you doubt? Get back in this boat and let's keep going. Though a righteous man or a woman falls seven times, seven times they rise again. He says, keep going by faith. He says, keep going by faith. And the truth is, is that the older that you get, the more dependent you are on God's love expressed on the cross of Jesus for you rather than your love for him. When you're young, you're trying to impress him. When you're young, you're trying to say, you know what? Jesus, look at how passionate I am for you. Look at how devoted I am to you. Look at all these great things I'm going to do for you, which is a great zeal to have. Let me tell you something. He says, be zealous for the Lord always. Always. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. That's what Paul exhorted in Romans, right? That's a command that we're to obey. It's not something or a feeling that comes upon us. It's a decision that we daily make to be fervent for the commands and the purposes of God. But at the same time, when you age, then you begin to say, wait a minute, not only is God not impressed with me, but I am less impressed with myself. Has anybody come to that point yet? <laughs> Where you just begin to be less and less impressed with yourself? I know I mentioned Winston Churchill last week, but I love one of his other quotes that he actually uh, said. He said, listen, when you're 20... <coughs> I'm going to butcher the quote, but, you know, forgive me. But he says, when you're, like, when you're in your 20s, you know, you uh, think that the whole world's thinking about you. When you're in your 40s, you become less impressed with yourself. And when you're 60, you realize that nobody was thinking about you in the first place. <laughs> As you age, isn't that the truth? Sort of like when you're young... You're what? The center of your own world. Everything's about you and right, me, 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 and like how everything affects me through my lens and my world. When you age a little bit and then you're responsible for somebody beyond yourself, then it's sort of like, wait a minute, I need help, <laughs> right? And when you have some wisdom of the wisdom of gray hair on you, then you actually begin to say, wait a minute, you know what? I'm going to go the way of all the earthless like everybody else. I'll be happy if somebody remembers my name. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Isn't that what Ecclesiastes says? But guess who does remember your name because he's called you by name? God Almighty. Guess who's called each and every one of you by name? He says, I've called you by name in Isaiah and you're mine. 
That's why you're valuable. I've called you, and I'm not going to allow you to fall if you're stepping out of faith, even in the midst of making mistakes to actually see a better way come to pass. It is no coincidence that as we age, we become less impressed with ourselves and more impressed with God. Final scripture in Psalm 147, verses 7 through 11. It set me free, and I hope it sets you free as well. And knowing that it's going to be a supernatural power that enables us to be healed and begin our new walk in God, but then it's going to be a supernatural trust that keeps us. Psalm 147, 7 through 11 says this. All the Psalms are not only emotive, but they're declaring the greatness of not ourselves, but of God. And he says, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He, not we, he. He. It's about him, right? He. We sing worship and because it's about him. He. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight. Now, let this set you free, please. I remember sitting in a college cafeteria, speaking to a friend of mine and realizing that for the first couple of uh, years of my walk with God, I was trying to walk alongside of him and, you know, be an under-shepherd of Christ, going after people, seeing people come to the Lord, seeing people encouraged in the Lord and things like that. And then I remember as a college student, I got to a breaking point myself, and I was just like crying in the middle of a cafeteria. And uh, I remember a friend encouraging me, like, Roland, you're going after all these other people that you see as sheep, right? Sheep that Jesus wants to um, come and rescue. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that's his heart. And they gave me a word image picture, but the, you, you see what you see, Rollins, you see Jesus and yourself <laughs> outside the pen, just looking at everybody saying, man, I hope they make it. Right, Jesus? Not realizing that you are in the pen yourself as one of the sheep. That he cares for you as one of his sheep, just as you are hoping to encourage your brothers and sisters in him. And this is a scripture that encouraged me. He said, his delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, meaning you can't impress him. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in not theirs but his steadfast love. His delight is not in the strength of a horse, nor in the legs of a man, but the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in not their own ability, but in his unfailing love. That means when you're following him, he says, hope in me. You make a mistake, hope in me. You actually made sin, actually repent and come back to me. You actually need to be cleansed, I'll cleanse you, but it's because of me. All of it's about me. And if you put your hope in yourself, you're going to be dis- disenfranchised. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to fail. But he says, if you put your hope in my unfailing love for you, then you'll have a supernatural, not only strength, but a supernatural trust to have you continue and accomplish and complete the things of God. It is no coincidence that in the waters, it was that these men and women were healed. Even as we are buried with Christ in baptism, just like some are going to be done 
have done today, it separates you from the power of the old man that you may be able to be dead to sin and alive in Christ, but only because of Christ. He said, you started in me, now remain in me. He said, go now and leave your life of sin so that nothing worse may happen to you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Have a supernatural trust in me and you'll accomplish that which I've commanded you and called you to do in Jesus' name. Amen? All right, worship team.